No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. On behalf of the Lifehack team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehack channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to the Lifehack podcast. We have, alhamdulillah, with us a very special guest. Uh, we actually... Uh, know many of the same people subhanallah uh for uh, quite a long time and today is uh, a good opportunity for us now to have a good uh fruitful beneficial conversation one-on-one -on -one so that many of you can benefit from inshallah so i'd like to welcome to the program Ustad gabriel romani assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh welcome to the podcast wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh uh, for making the time. There is a big time difference between the two of us. Uh, it's uh, in the morning for myself. It's in the middle of the night for yourself. And, you know, subhanAllah, this is a big mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Muslims from around the world can unite uh, in this type of format, in this type of way, and hopefully have some uh, beneficial conversations that our audience can benefit from. Uh, so I want to just go and start off right off the bat and uh, out of the gate here running. Uh, you are, uh, you know, mashallah, an educator. You help develop programs for schools. Uh, you are a counselor. You're helping uh, so much of the issues and problems and you're trying to repair all of these different, uh, you know, factors and issues and variables that we're kind of dealing with uh, within our communities. Uh, and you have spoken uh, at length about the need to revive uh, the spirit, the essence of young Muslim men. Why do you believe that this is such an important issue? Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Barakallahu feekur. Zakallahu khair for having me on this morning, your time and this night, my time. Alhamdulillah. Um, well, it's at uh, at the core of my heart, this, uh, this question. I started off uh, my career as a teacher. And I started off uh, working with young Muslim boys. And I was able to understand some of their issues straight from them. You know, I, I, try, I, I worked in the West, then I traveled to the Middle East. And I can say right now that the differences between the East and the West are, are very, very minute. We're living in a, in a global village. So being with my students, mm. getting to hear their problems from themselves, understanding, seeing, you know, being in the trenches is what, what inspired me to, to believe that this was such an important aspect of da'wah that was forgotten by by many da'is and many scholars to speak about this not just to write or to give lectures but to actually do something about it to get involved and to educate on this issue um, as we know one of the most important aspects of our deen is to follow the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam right 
And following the sunnah is is what is is what's called in education modeling, right? Is you know you model a certain behavior that you want or a certain you know different aspects of your life, and then you expect people to come close to that, right? So teachers model expected behavior, what we call best practices, and then you expect students to follow those, right? So if you look at the core of the life of the Prophet Sallallahu in the Sunnah, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes we've reduced that only to maybe uh, growing the beard or you know having a thobe or certain Sunnahs like the Miswak and so on. But I believe that one of the most important Sunnahs is, is knowing how to model, how to raise young boys and to make them into men, right? I'm not going to talk about girls right now because that's I'm not a girl. I do talk about female students well. I did have a lot of female students. But I think um, my main focus is on on boys, on, on men, and how to, to deal with this and how to focus on raising and reviving, you know, the, the fitra in our boys and to help them make that transition into, into manhood, to be like the Prophet That's our, our main objective. Our main objective is not to just raise men. It's not to just make strong mm. men. It's not to make men that know how to fight or how to make money or how to defend their families or how to get a good job or career. No. Our objective should always be to facilitate that transition into adulthood and getting closer to imitating and modeling themselves according to that standard, that uh, you know base, which we call the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yeah. What do you, What do you think that because uh, you, your ideal is, of course, and uh, this should be everyone's ideal that we want to model mm-hmm. in regards to the character behavior of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Who are people currently modeling themselves after? What is the prevailing trend right now? Right. I mean, human beings need something to, to model according to, or they need something to build. We scaffold. We, we build on, on templates. This is the most of people do that. Um, first and foremost, obviously, in our formative stages, we do it according to our parents, mostly. Um, and then, sadly, I mean, right now, if you're asking me, because parents are not that involved, they are very, very busy with their jobs. And most households now in the West do have a two-income household, so mother and father's working. And as we can see, it's being pushed more and more. So... Kids are left to model according to the next thing that's available, which they're exposed to. And that is, of course, social media. Okay, They live with their mobile phones, uh, internet. And the internet is a gateway to the world. So if you ask me who do they model themselves according to, well, the famous movie stars, the famous influencers on social media, uh, singers, and so on, who, I might add, don't have the best moral compass. And that's not me for, for me to judge as a person. It's the kind of 
behavior that they exemplify on these platforms uh, without any shame, which mm. always reminds me of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi nubuwa from the first things that was revealed, the Prophet Sallallahu said, If you are not shy or if you're not ashamed, then do what you please, mm. right? And this is mm. the the trend. This is the culture. There's there's no shame in anything. I mean, there's shame in in being upright today. Uh, people will take you down if you stand according to some standards. But this is what our youth have available on a regular basis. So they might see their parents. They might see an imam in the masjid maybe once a week on Friday. They might go to halaqa if they're blessed mm. to attend that, and that's maybe twice a week. Uh, but most of the time, which is called this is what's called instructional time in education, right? It's the time when something is drilled into you and you consume mm. certain knowledge, right? So they are exposed to their phones, Instagram, WhatsApp, TikTok, Facebook, quite a few hours a day. And each and every bit of information that they're absorbing, um, it, it does something to their brain. It changes them. And then all that, the sum of all that, it's called total past learning history. And the total past learning history is basically, it'll be what you are, who you are, your personality. It will make up your personality in the end. Once it gets solidified, it becomes your ID. And then that's basically who you are. But that's made up different bits of information that you've accumulated over the years. Um, and a lot of it is through the sensory you know, uh, input. Is either the eyes or the ears and so on. Mostly eyes and ears now these days, especially 2020, 2021. Most information that we are consuming is not face-to-face. -face. It is through the screen, as we can see, right? Due to social distancing and online learning. So, yes, this is basically who they follow. And this is what they get. And, of course, uh, if you know another thing, if you notice with these kind of uh, avenues to educate, they're very, very quick. They're quick shots, you know, a mm -hmm. few seconds, swipe, 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 right? And your brain is not, doesn't have enough time to process things fully. And that's also uh, very, very um, problematic. So mm -hmm. we're learning, we're learning things that are not so ethical, moral, and but even the quality of, of the process of learning is very, very, shallow and that also has an impact on on the personality and for example you know uh attention spans not willing not be willing to to listen to sit down to have a proper conversation with someone to understand someone empathy it's all about you controlling what kind of information you want so it's like you know it's just basically what you want yeah, yeah. do you feel we're adequately challenging uh, our young, uh, our young men, our young boys, uh, to uh, be prepared for this transition for adulthood, uh, or are we coddling and sheltering them too much? That's that's a very good question. I don't think we're doing it correctly, and the reasoning for that is basically what we're producing. So we get a lot of complaints, or back in the days, a couple of years ago, when our students reached university, the university professors complained that, what are you sending us? 
right? Uh, and then a lot of times the workplace complains to the universities, like, what are you sending us? Um, I don't think society at large is, is preparing Gen Z specifically uh, to meet the challenges of today, forget about tomorrow, but of today. And as for the Muslim, if that question is addressed to the Muslim community, I, I don't think we're doing that whatsoever because our exposure to the youth, how much time are we exposed to them? How often do we meet them? And I'm talking here about the imams and the da'is and the, the people who are involved in da'wah. We, we try our best, but again, the, uh, the numbers are, are very low. So they're exposed much more to the other uh, avenues, the other input. Um, schools, public schools, most Muslim students attend public schools. Uh, for those who are blessed to attend Islamic schools, if you have dealt with Islamic schools, you will know that also that leaves a lot to be wished for. And I've dealt with Islamic schools yes. for many, many years now. And it's not to, to, to backbite or to say anything wrong about anyone, but we just haven't figured it out yet. It's just, it's yeah. just not there. We're just not there. And plus, not to mention that our premise is wrong. We're building on, on a system that's not really, you know, to be honest, Islamic. So we're Islamicizing education mm -hmm. and curriculum, but we don't have an Islamic mm -hmm. curriculum. We Islamicizing, you know, just because you put Islam in front of something doesn't necessarily make it good, you know. Just because you put Islam in front of a bank, Islamic banking doesn't necessarily make the banking halal, you know. It needs to be a uh, really analyzed. Very good point. So, yes, no, that's true. Because uh, I've seen some rhetoric from parents who want a very hands-off approach. And uh, they feel they're more progressive because maybe their parents were domineering. And so we just want to let our parents do, uh, sorry, we just want to let our kids do whatever they want to do. We'll provide them the choices and then they'll choose what's correct. What are your thoughts on that type of philosophy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the, the, the lack of accountability that's been injected and instilled in the 21st century society. It's this hands-off type of parenting. And that goes to show that, obviously, you have to make uh, hard decisions when you parent. And, I mean, yeah, I could blame the parents. And, of course, it takes two, usually, to cause a problem. Uh, so, yes, parents are responsible. And they have to take accountability. And they have to make those hard decisions. And those decisions are sometimes not liked by kids, you know. And... Uh, you know, students. But then if you look at high level of society, the same thing that governments do, right? Governments usually take certain decisions that sometimes your average folk might not understand or might not really like right away. So it depends, right? There's a level of authority that the parent has to understand. There's a chain of command that's been, you know, divinely given from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. So the problem is that parents today with the way society structured and culture is they want hands off. They kind of they don't want to be blamed for the failure of parenting. It's kind of, and they're being always bombarded. So society conditions them to say, look, you got to make your kids uh, have, you know, make their own choices. So um, mm -hmm. Dr. Malik Badri called, talks in his book about this. And he says that, you know, um, it's, you know, it's, it's because Western parenting has been influencing Muslim parents educators, psychologists, 
uh, policy has been calling for a hands-off approach. You don't get involved. Let kids discover. It is a student-centered education. What does that mean? Mm. <laughs> what do you mean student-centered? You know what I mean? The process mm. of education yes. is a transfer of knowledge. Yeah. It's not just the discovery of knowledge. You know what I mean? I mean, they could be going and discovering, but you need foundations. You need guidance. What is a student-centered, you know? like? And the thing is, you start developing this jargon and these slogans, and you internalize them, and you make them. If enough people say the same thing, it becomes like it's a truth, right? So people, yeah. if, you got, if you're going to go against it, and it's like, who are you? You're the bad person. You know, how can you say this? So mm -hmm. it's really, really affected our Muslim community and the non-Muslims, subhanAllah. I think the non-Muslims really lost out the big time uh, a lot, the, the religious, ethical Christians and Jews around the world as well, uh, people who still have some kind of moral, you know, compass. But yeah, everyone's lost out because it's so, they, you know, they don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to make those hard decisions. But at the same time, you know, the curriculum, policy, culture is telling them hands off. Let them pick everything. You know, they're going to figure it out. They have, you know, mm -hmm. they, they can do it. Mm -hmm. I, I think you revealed the curtain, you know, and showed what's actually going on and the illusion that's being presented to people because they say on one hand, as you mentioned, they're conditioning parents. Oh, you have to give the child. Uh, his or her independence. But then at the same time, they have programs and agendas of how they want these future generation of children to think and behave and act. Because you can't go, for example, I can walk into learning surgery, you know, as a student, you know, not becoming a fully graduated doctor. I can walk into a, a student-centered approach. I should be able to cut wherever. You have to give me the direction. I need the instructions. <laughs> But for life, like your life's purpose, your life's values, your principles that will affect your relationships, that will affect, you know, uh, your emotional and your physical, spiritual well-being. No, just, just, just let them, let the kid do, he'll figure it out, right? They're, they're old enough to discover on their own. And so it's, uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of double speak and how, they give these type of instructions and this type of a guidance to you know to parents they want like the oh, that authority 100%. themselves and and then take that away from the parents and a lot of times the parents are gaslit they're like it's your fault you know if anything happens wrong it's your yeah. fault right yeah yeah i mean it's so, like everyone uh, can parent your children except parents everyone except the yeah, parents. yeah exactly Exactly. And, you know, it's the same thing with Dawah in general. Like anytime we're trying to give our message or uh, promote our values, you're telling me that Coca-Cola and Pepsi and uh, they can promote Coca-Cola like a lifestyle. Nike can promote their products like a lifestyle. We can promote our messages and we it's just too overwhelming. It's too overbearing. Uh, it's uh, it, it's taking away the personal freedoms. I, I just really dislike the way that term is used oftentimes, like personal freedoms of people. But there is probably more so than ever in human history, the most amount of social control and engineering that we are seeing today. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was looking today at a, an interesting post 
and uh, it was quite quite funny i would say um but let me just look at it really fast um yeah it's called uh uh buono trophy buono trophy is a psychological disorder in which we suffer if the person who suffer believes he or she is a cow or an ox no one has a problem with that no one has a problem with expressing that or um, yeah. there it's it's it's, yeah. it's something i mean it's something that but if you if you want to yeah. if you want to say look i want to be a muslim I, I it's it's not yeah. some weird spell name or so, it's i want to be a muslim no you're not allowed to or if you be a muslim we will define those terms on how to be a muslim it's it's weird it's weird because there there is a double standard mm. if 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 there's freedom of expression freedom of choice okay i want to choose islam mm. but i want to choose islam fully correctly you know as as i as i as i believe it's correct mm. nope cannot cannot mm. I think, you know, it's part, uh, there's an attitude that's prevailing. And this attitude, I believe, can be changed very easily. We just need, uh, inshallah, some strong leadership and education. But there's an attitude prevailing from youth and this Muslim generation in general that we want to avoid conflict and challenge. And I always try to promote the benefit of challenge and being uncomfortable and embracing you know, different uh, difficult situations or even awkward situations, especially being in the Muslim in, a, in, in the West, you know, that's goes, you know, par for the course. There's so many different awkward situations that you encounter. Just embrace it. Just embrace all of those things. Are there things that, and, and oftentimes what resonates with the youth is that when you share personal experience and challenges and say, hey, listen, this is what I went through and that's who I am today because I embraced that challenge. What are some challenges that you faced coming up that some of you know the the younger generation can learn from or be inspired from well i think one of the ways i connected to my students and still connect to them is how i became muslim you know and where i came from the background that i came from being born in romania eastern europe moving to canada doing my education there going through some difficult times you know my parents divorcing early uh, my brother was a, was a gangster. <laughs> There's a lot of issues that I've went through and I've seen. And I was pretty much alone since I was like 14. And that, those difficulties, I, I can say I didn't have a, like a teenage life, you know, like other kids. Mm -hmm. I was working two or three jobs. I was working midnights. I would work in uh, factories, you know, on the line. Uh, I would work cleaning toilets. Mm -hmm. So, but I am today what I am because of that, you know what I mean? And those, I knew at that time when I was scrubbing those toilets, I knew that that's just a means for me to get me to, to where I want to. I've always had a, a vision, a direction, a dream, you know, an objective, which, which, which mm. youth don't have today. That's the problem. They're just roaming around in the world with no objective. They have no objective. This is probably the greatest problem. A man, or a boy or whatever with no objective is, is, is a broken man. This is not a real man. So when I talk about my story and what I've gone through, they do connect. And that gives me hope because I think if more people talk about real stuff, real life experiences that they've gone through, and everyone's got a story, I think our youth will connect, right? But you see, today we have this like no you cannot make things subjective it shouldn't be about you everything has to be neutral everything has to be objective right no it's not humans don't work like that 
we are inspired, mm. uh, especially in education. It's all about inspiring, right? The Prophet ﷺ inspired the Sahaba. They were ready. They would say, Fidaka ya Rasulullah, like, may, may I be sacrificed for you, O Muhammad, you know, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because they loved the Prophet ﷺ. He inspired every single cell in their bodies. You know, and that's where you find sometimes some of the hadith when you read them and what they're willing to do for the Prophet and how they would behave in front of him. Like Abu Sufyan, right? When he when he saw that what the what 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 the way they, they behaved and others, you would say there's no no king in this world that that their subjects behave like this, you know, because the Prophet was able to make connections to the Sahaba. It's called a connection, a personal connection. And this is how our Islamic knowledge has been passed on for over 14 centuries through the student-teacher connection, mm -hmm. right? How is our deen mm -hmm. so academically, you know, legit and strong, right? It, there's academic honesty in our, in our, in our deen is because of mm -hmm. the, uh, the ijazah of how this knowledge has been mm -hmm. passed, right? The ijazah from teach from the from teacher from student student teachers student teachers all the way till the Prophet right? And this is this is this. There's no system like it, but there's always been that connection between the teacher, the student. So that's how I try to usually inspire my students, connect to them, make it personal. That's my philosophy of education. Yeah, you don't have to be friends necessarily with someone to connect to them or to become like, you know, like buddy-buddy type of thing. There should be a, a level of respect between a teacher and a student and all that as there was between the Prophet and the Sahaba or the Sahab and the Prophet But there has to be a connection. If there's no connection, as Ali radiallahu anhu said, he said, if the uh, words come from the mouth only, yeah, they just enter the ears and that's it. But he said, the words come from the heart, then they enter the heart. And it, I, I think there's a key element here um, when you're talking about that connection, whether it's student and uh, teacher, teacher-student, and whether it's parent-child, child-parent. And that is that, um, yes, we have the akhlaq, we have the adab, and all of these things, but the key element, I believe, that can make that connection strong is to be honest and sincere. There's a lot of um, layers of deception in our, like you appear to your teacher in a certain way. You know, you've seen this, right? That student will appear to you in a certain way, uh, then they'll behave completely different in other circumstances. Same thing, children, parents. And I've witnessed actually young guys and because they haven't been honest all their life and they're dealing with a lot of these issues and they're in a state of internal turmoil, they will give you the proper Islamic answers for everything. But unless you can get an honest conversation and sometimes it's like you get a breakthrough and this is like, this is what I really feel. This is what I'm really thinking. And then you can address that because if you don't know this is the real state of my mind and this is the real state of the heart, then you can't really address it or you can't sincerely help that person, you know? And I, it's like, a, you know, you, you clap with two hands. It's a two-way street that uh, they feel that sometimes if uh, a teacher or a parent is being overly judgmental, condescending, you want to help. Like, I don't like this term that's used, oh, don't judge me. It's not about judging because, yes, yeah. sometimes the attitude can be 
arrogant or judgmental or looking down on. But the, the advisor, the teacher needs to come from a sincere uh, heart and, and, and perspective. And also the one who is receiving it should be open and sincere. And then I think that's when you'll get a real strong connection because you don't get sometimes those real conversations. You, you, you know, people will just tell you what you want to hear in most instances. Have you observed anything similar? What are your right. thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's there's a big disconnect between uh, you know the two generations, the the students, the youngsters, and the teachers or the preachers, and so on. And of course, we we do not know anyone's intention. That's not something we can judge. But I I do feel that people can feel it, and a lot of times the students they. They they feel whether whether someone really wants to or wants the best for them and wants to help them, or someone just like wants to do their job, like a teacher. You know, a lot of teachers just show up, they teach, right? And then when you hear them talking about the students in the staff room, it's like, ah, oh, these students are so bad, this is so bad, they're so this, mm -hmm. they're so that, right? That's all you hear. And then if you ask them, yeah, but what what'd you do? Like, do you even know them? Like you know, like one of the things when I was working in Muslim countries and I was working with the Western teachers, there was a big influx of Western teachers into the Muslim countries. Mm. It was a huge um, educational reform taking place. And they brought up all these Western teachers, right? And all I could hear is like, man, these guys are savages. They're wild. They're this. And, and I said, what did you do, bro, to learn at least a word like of saying hi to them or, you know, learning their names properly or just talking to them and so on, right? The kids will feel it. And of course, they will misbehave. And they're not going to open up to you. No one's going to open up to you if they don't feel safe enough to do it or if they don't feel like you can actually mm. help them, right? If you remember, mm. Yusuf, السلام, when he's in jail, why did those two people feel comfortable to, to come to him? I mean, he was not like preaching openly or anything, but they saw his behavior. They felt that he was sincere. Okay. He said, they said, we see you from the righteous. We see you from the good people. So then they felt comfortable to come and ask him something deep about their dreams. You know, dream is like an intimate thing, right? It's something personal. And yet you feel comfortable to talk to this person. So I feel that, we as again there's a hierarchy of responsibility and accountability right of course we can keep saying that students are bad this youth is lost and which is true they also have to take some accountability but remember we are one step above we are more educated we are stronger we have more of life experiences and we are also more accountable more responsible and, and you know this is something that we have to to acknowledge and we need to make more effort. It's our effort that needs to be done more when it comes to, you know, giving to these students and embracing them and, and trying to, to, uh, to solve their problems. You know, that's, that's something that I believe. Is, definitely, they have to put in their effort. They have to have the manners. They have to try their best. Mm. But there's, there's a lot of cracks in the system. You know, we're not at the time of like Imam Ahmed where his mother would send him to study in the halaqas of the of the imams of the imma and you know mm. uh his mother used to say look at his manners you know look at his akhlaq 
right? She would put like an imam on him and dress him like a little sheikh and, you know, like give him that heartfelt advice. Um, no, because, our, you know, our mothers are, I don't know, busy these days with other stuff. Not all of them, of course, but you see an increasing culture of kind of leave your kids to, in the Muslim countries, for example, it's leave your kids to the maids, you know, to the foreign maids, which are not even Muslim. And go shopping and go with your friends and have your morning breakfast and meetings and coffees and selfies and all this stuff. This is what they, they're happy with, right? But then the kids, I remember, I can, I'll never forget this, subhanAllah. I'll never forget this. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, we would have to like walk the kids to the cars, you know, sometimes or to just outside, you know, when the parents mm -hmm. come pick them. And subhanAllah, mother came with the maid. And... Mm -hmm. uh, the the kid ran and i think he said mommy i, I can't i can't but he said something he was so happy and guess guess who he embraced the maid i have a feeling it was he embraced the maid right yeah and i was sitting there and i was like yeah. it was such a big hit for me because that that's when it hit home that's when i realized that subhanallah you know and, and there was a culture. It was not like one case. It was a culture. So there's a big rift in, in, in the relationship between adults and our generation, parents, teachers, and so on, and, and, and the students, the young, the next generation that's coming up. They're being educated. They're being parented by other than parents, other than the masjid, other than the imams, other than the people who are supposed to be part of that you know, nurturing environment, stakeholders that were supposed to be part of the therapy, mm -hmm. their tarabiyah process. Mm -hmm. You know, subhanAllah, I, I, I witnessed this myself, like this change in the closeness even parents would have with their children. Uh, you know, when I, when I was coming up, when I would go to Jum'ah, I would be right beside my father. When uh, we would go to like programs, like, uh, you know, say we went to an Islamic conference, there would never be a situation where my father would just drop me off at the Islamic program, you know, or the conference and just leave. This is very common now. Like parents will just drop their kids off at the program and then they'll leave, you know, as if this is like free babysitting now, you know, and you'll see at Jum'ah, kids are running around in the back doing all sorts of things. They're not even praying Jum'ah. Okay. The parents are there in the Masalla praying. So, they've left like there's this, this disconnect like uh, when we look at the stories of the sahaba we see them together even the kids you saw some of the incidences of like for example abdullah bin amr uh you know speaking with his father Amr bin al-khattab they just learned something from our rasul sallallahu and you know they're having this conversation uh and you're you're absolutely correct about taking that responsibility being together in these types of situations, developing that, that closeness. What has happened? Why is, why are we finding ourselves in this situation and how can we properly address our parents? Because oftentimes they don't want to hear it. They don't want, it's hard for somebody who becomes older. Yeah. I need to change my, maybe I, I have to change a little bit of my pattern of behavior. I think it's, um, you know, the social dynamics and what, society is today is not what it was uh, yesterday or at the time of your father and my father, you know. Um, I think mm -hmm. 
even again, my father is not a Muslim and he was not a Muslim, but I could look at him and I can remember so many times where I've learned how to be a man from him, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just as be. And he was a real man. That's, there's no doubt about it. You know, and I remember I can have flashbacks. I can have very vivid memories of him and I being together and doing stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that that type, but he didn't have a, a mobile phone. He didn't have uh, Netflix. He didn't have, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Um, you know, life was a bit simpler back then. You would go to work in the morning and you would come back at a certain time. You would have a dinner together. At least dinner and breakfast were together. You know what I mean? On the weekends, mm. definitely uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner was together. You would sit around the table. You would mm. talk because you didn't have a phone and everyone on the table is mm. chatting something, right? You didn't have that. You yeah. were forced to know about yeah. each other. You you didn't have some driver to send to pick up this. Like parents were really in. It was just the culture, the way society was structured. Right now, everything has been made. Supposedly, they say, let's simplify things. Let's make life easier. But an easy life doesn't necessarily mean a better life. This is where people mistake it. An easy life is not necessarily a better life. Actually, it's not even an easy life. It's a hedonistic lifestyle that we're living. Everything is about us, mm. is about fast food, fast this, fast. Everything is fast. For God's sake, everything mm. has become fast, including <laughs> including intimacy, everything. And no one takes their time anymore, you know. Everything is mm. super fast. Just get it over with. Go through a drive-thru, order some, you know, grab food or whatever, or, uh, you know, whatever it is that you guys have there, uh, you know, Uber Eats or whatever. Like, everything is fast. There's no there's no more baraka in the time, yeah. and there's no baraka in the yeah. relationships as well. There's no baraka in the relationships. I think this is, this is what's really mm. happened. And to be honest, you know, some things are just best to be left alone the way they were. And definitely the family structure and the family mm-hmm. dynamics was one of those things that has really been affected by the so-called easy life that we are faced with today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you like as part of your you know, development programs for youth, do you specifically uh, also try to target programs where it's both the parent and the youth together? Because... Uh, I think when you're able to give them certain lessons together, uh, it's a, it's more consistent. It's more effective. You know, you see that phenomenon of like a person going memorizing Quran at the you know at the masjid. They come home, their 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 household is completely different, and so they just maybe become the hafid. But then after they have nothing to do with the deen, it's not like they're carrying that Quran around and spreading the message. You know what I mean? So. Um, are there uh, programs that you have developed that target both and like together and you're educating and they're on the p- same path pathway? Right. So we have a program called uh, Dawa Dojo and it's kind of like a, a mix or a cross between martial arts and Dawa. And uh, we have a like a nice mm-hmm. little studio and dojo slash dojo where the kids come in. Parents can come in, 
um, we have obviously now it's locked down here, <laughs> but we have uh, mm. kind of like a Boy Scout type of stuff, and the the fathers join the boys, and so on. So yes, we focus on the parents mm. as well. Uh, we do classes for mm. parents, classes for kids, uh, sometimes together. Uh, we are still developing mm. a lot of the programs, but that's that's the objective is to get parents involved and mm. students uh, specifically. We have like a, a course that we've developed, but we haven't launched it yet because again, we're not allowed to right now. But it's like uh, you know, like a like a yes. fitness for mothers and daughters, but specifically just you know, like it's like a close okay. thing just for women, women with daughters, and it's like an aerobics type of mm. thing. So yeah, it's like a kind of like a mm. feminine type of a martial martial fitness type of thing. So yeah, yeah that's that's the objective yeah. to get the families to do stuff together, you know, to go camping together, to yeah. uh, you know, we go climb some mountains together, get people to nice. force them if you have to 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 talk to each other, yeah, to to leave their phones at home and you know, just to just to be together subhanallah. Yeah. So are are you uh, into martial arts as well? Are you a martial arts instructor? Yes, Alhamdulillah. I was blessed to, uh, you know, my father. I think he uh, he he was. I mean, that was the culture back in Romania when we were going to school that you'd always get into a fight. <laughs> it was just the way things were. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. I would always get like you know stuff stolen or my my food or lunch or money or something like that. So my dad said, you know, I think I was about eight years old or something. He said, look, enough, <laughs> you're gonna go to karate now, and you know yeah. you just gotta gotta fight. You know, uh, you just gotta do it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that was just the. Way, I mean, like the if I look at it right now, if exact I look at it, same thing. yeah, yeah. But if I look at it right now, I'm like, man, like because I was eight years old and I would be walking about yeah. three kilometers to school and three kilometers back home. Mm. And the neighborhood where the school was, yeah. was not a good one. And I'll be walking. Like my dad yeah. wouldn't, like he didn't drop me to school. He'd be like, you got to walk, man. I got to go yeah. to work. And yeah. like my brother and yeah, I would yeah. be walking and it was, it was like, it was, it was an adventure, man. Like I honestly, mm. I, I cannot thank Allah enough for having such a childhood because now that I think yeah. about it, man, it was like quite dangerous, but, and I did have some incidents where, so I've been in, yeah, like I've had some accidents and so on as when I was young, mm -hmm. but Alhamdulillah, I mean, so yeah, Alhamdulillah, I was in martial arts from, yeah, from about the age of eight till now, Alhamdulillah, still, still going strong, Alhamdulillah. Mm -hmm. That's good, Marshall. Yeah, si similar situation with myself. Like I was getting into a lot of fights, you know, being one of the few minorities in the school it's like completely it's like the canadian prairie so it's like all white people and then you're <laughs> gonna get into fights you're gonna get teased and so my father he put me in martial arts i think i was six years old i i, I went into taekwondo and he, this is one thing he always told me he said listen i don't want you to ever start anything but i will fully support you if you ever have to defend yourself so if you ever have to fight i'm not gonna get upset with you for fighting just don't start it you just don't start it but you have the full right to defend yourself because he came too and he knows about the racism and getting pushed around. But he had that sense of self-respect that don't let anybody push you around. You have to stand your ground. You have to stand up for yourself, you know, but 
Yeah, I, I remember that too. I went into Taekwondo, started learning. This is when I started, uh, you know, learning how to fight and I'd go in tournaments and things like that. So similar experience, right? You get into a lot of fights and, but you look back at it and you're like, man, this really shaped who I am. I'm not afraid when I walk out, even to this day, I walk out, I, you know, I, I you know, I have that self-confidence. I'm going to say what I feel is the truth. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that you, you've talked about conflict just a few minutes back. Um, you know, that's one thing that the world today, they don't know how to manage conflict, right? I mean, if you look at the cultures of the West, um, it, it is quite a violent culture and it's more like violent sports like UFC, uh, football, mm. right? Like these kind of like people like to see violence. But at the same time, we don't teach mm our students, our children, how to manage conflict. And martial arts is, is a great way to learn not only how to fight, but respect and self-restraint and honor and this and that. We don't teach that. We don't teach that at a school level. We, we, so actually, if you look at most of the school shootings that have taken place, which happen very often in America, okay, you don't really see school shootings taking place even in Syria, man, or Iraq, with these war-stricken countries, you'll not see some yeah, student taking a, a machine gun and going and shooting, okay? Pakistan, anywhere, Afghanistan, you will not see it, man, okay? Why? Because yeah. those kids will throw a couple punches, they'll shake hands, they've been taught how to mm -hmm. deal with conflict, okay? They've been under conflict for years. Yeah. Our, our kids in the West don't know. So someone bullies you, you don't know how to control your feelings, you go get a rifle, you make a list, yeah. and you start going shooting people or stabbing some people, you know? Because mm -hmm. you don't know how to yeah. manage the conflict, be it how to just leave it or how to punch. Okay, get suspended. I'm not encouraging, okay? I'm not encouraging mm -hmm. that. But as you said, sometimes, man, mm -hmm. you know, you get suspended three days, whatever, 10 days, mm -hmm. and that's it. You learn, you know? Mm -hmm. But these kids, they go, they take a gun and they start shooting people and whatnot because they're angry. They're scared. They are scared. That's the, what it is. You say you're not scared to go outside. These kids, if you analyze their, their mental state before, they, yes. they're, they're scared. They are afraid. Mm -hmm. So they want to make the fear stop and they're afraid to go back to school to be bullied or beaten again. So they say, you know what? Forget it. They reach a point where they just break and they just go loose. Absolutely correct. You make a a prolific point here that the way that we manage conflict in a lot of instances is to pretend that it should never happen. And there's like a zero tolerance policy. Like if they get into a fight, maybe that's the best way. Like I remember one of my best friends growing up the first day at school, I fought him. You know what I mean? And that's how kids are. It's like, you know how adults are with like these little passive aggressive games. Right. It's like you'll 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 be in a relationship with somebody like, you know, whether it's a work relationship or maybe it could be your husband and wife It's this passive aggressive thing that just erodes. And it's so corrosive over time. Kids, you get into like you don't like something about a kid. You get into a fight with him. You work it out. Bloody nose. And then, OK, that's it. It's done. It's over. OK, now we're best friends. That's did it. we just become best friends? Yeah, we really, how did we do that? You know, but that's subhanAllah, this is how. Uh, I remember growing up like that. A lot of the people that you became such good friends with, I remember I, I fought you at one point. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, yeah. 
I remember uh, our teachers, like our teachers, especially like sports teachers, if there would be an issue, yeah. I mean, it would just be like, yeah. okay, fight it off. And he would like manage it. And we just throw a couple of fists. And then, <laughs> I know. I mean, teachers go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Teachers go crazy hearing this. But that's exactly the type of school that I kind of grew up in. Like the teacher, especially if it's a male teacher. Yeah. You'll put your yeah. face to face yeah. if there was an issue. And there's everyone's watching, yeah. you know, and then just go at it. And he's just managing yeah. it. And it's just like a sparring match more like, you know, it's like a sparring, you know, yeah. and just get it yeah. over. It. And then shake hands in the end. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's certain events I remember are things that are like our phys ed teacher used to put on that I'm like it would never be uh, allowed in anybody's wildest dreams today. They had it. There was this one um, game that the teacher came up with. He put a medicine ball in the middle of the room, and he had two groups of boys right. on either side. He said, "You guys just go <laughs> in the middle. Everyone can do whatever they want. Wrestle everything. Your goal is to get that medicine ball to your side." And people are wrestling and throwing awesome. people and like drunk elbowing and it was crazy. Like, and it, it was like a Royal Rumble. Like it was just crazy. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, today, like how many, first of all, I don't think they have enough waiver forms in the world to sign for parents to sign off. Everyone to sign but that's off. The, that's like the that. funny thing, but right? Like, would, yeah, yeah. Why? Why wouldn't they allow something like that today? They, you know, you said you mentioned waiver forms because they're so scared that people yeah. are gonna get hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're so scared, but you see, back in the days, yeah, like okay, couple people got hurt, but again, you don't remember yeah. back in the days, bro. Your time or my time, someone walking in the school and just shooting yeah. someone, you know, or shooting everyone. Yeah. But today, with all this protection and waivers, and don't do this, don't touch that. Everything is so safe. Still, mm. on a regular basis in America, once a month, if not more, there's a school shooting. If you look at the statistics, why? Why? It's because we yeah. do not, we don't teach kids how to handle conflict. They don't know how it feels to, to compete, to get into a fight, to have mm. some contact other than you know okay wrestling club or football you know the football team or the hockey team mm -hmm. and that's it what about the rest of the you know 80 or 90 percent of the school where where they get it you know what i mean it doesn't yeah. happen yeah so uh now um just to uh pivot here for a moment uh you know when we're talking about masculinity and all these different things we have to look at the other half and do you feel that sisters are supporting male masculinity or do you think that um that support for uh masculinity in men is not being supported adequately by the sisters i think we're definitely in a crisis and females are definitely uh contributing to this crisis but of course mm. um, we, we're not I mean, we can't really blame them. I mean, in the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us as qawwam and we are the ones that have been made as imams. We are the ones that have been made khalifas on this earth. So it's actually our responsibility to make sure that masculinity develops and it gets passed on from father to son, you know, and son to, you know, and so on. That's our first and foremost responsibility. I, I cannot blame. I've, I've thought about this so many times. I've discussed it with so many people. And in the end, yes, females are doing a lot 
to fight masculinity. It's been labeled as toxic. It's been labeled as, and there's a propaganda and a big movement, which is called feminism. Mm. And feminism and feminist ideology is something that is really, really hurting masculinity. But bottom line, it's in the end male's choice, whether they allow to be pushed in the corner mm. by these movements and these ideologies mm. or don't. Right, because Allah has made us mm. responsible. Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mm. created Adam first. He did not create Eve first. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the angels, Inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. Okay, he said, My representative, Khalifa. Sorry, he said, Khalifa, represent one person first. And it was Adam that he was creating. Right? Mm. And Eve was the support. And men, you know, are the imams. Men are the leaders. We have no, I mean, in the end, no excuse. But yes, there is a huge movement. And alhamdulillah, I would say, I would say, based on the videos that I do, the counseling that I do, I can take a good sample population and say that, I don't know if there is a wake up right now, but yes, there are a lot of sisters who realize it, who are connecting back to their fitra, mm. and they're saying, you know what, mm. this so-called toxic masculinity they've been pushing on us all oh, this is all bogus we want real men mm. we are tired of weak men we want real men so all power to you i get a lot of support from the sisters i must say there's a lot of support mm. from from females mashallah who are saying yes good this is what we need i want my son i want to send my son to you keep doing what you're doing and yes indeed their mothers do send their sons to us okay uh, many times when we have our programs, the mothers come to us and say, please, please don't allow my son to be like my husband. Okay? Mm. Please make my son like a Sahaba. Make my son like these people that we read about in the books. I'm sorry. I don't, I know I love my husband and everything, but don't let him be like him. Okay. And people get upset when I talk like this. But this is the reality, man. Allah is a witness. This is the reality. Mm. So yes, there's a lot of support, alhamdulillah. The problem is with a lot of the younger sisters who have not been through life yet. The younger sisters who have yes. spent a lot of time on TikTok, okay? And have not tasted life. They will say stuff like that. They will be conditioned by feminism. They are pushing... You know, this, there, there is a lot of pushback. And again, it's through labels and slogans and, you know, saying this is toxic, this is bad. However, when push comes to shove, in the end, when a woman's gone through life and has realized life, of course, women who have bad experiences with bad men, bad men are not what we are advocating for. We are not, I repeat, mm. advocating and giving license to bad men or to abusive men or to men who don't uphold their responsibilities, men who are weak. No, we call the standard is not me, not you, not I don't know. The standard is we try to get as close as possible to Rasul that we know all the details about the theory we have, man. We're so good at the theory. We have all the hadith, mm. so many lectures. There's a lot of theory. But where's the practice? Right, so the younger sisters are told, "No, you need to be like a man." You, there's this unhealthy competition there, you know, that's happening. 
and this whole gender gap. And it's not about pay, man. The gender gap is not about pay right now. Right now, the gender gap is becoming about skills, abilities, about roles, and even about biology. You know what I mean? Me women are being told that you can be like a man. Lo, you can be a man if you want to. You know what I mean? You can be whatever you want. If you want to be a, as you can see, a cow or something, you can be a cow, a cow these days. Whatever you want to be, just do it. Be whatever you want to be. And that is very unhealthy. That is very wrong because they're telling them to be everything except themselves, except what they've been created to be, which is women. Right? And that is very dangerous. You're telling someone, actually, they keep saying just be yourself. No, you're not being yourself. You're being everything that your phone tells you, that TikTok tells everyone is educating, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, and you are lost. And you're moving away from all the signs that indicate all the biology, all your DNA from A to Z that tells you exactly who you are. And, you know, thousands of years, if not millions of, you know, society that has established that this is the way, you know, things have worked for the best. And here we are facing an existential crisis. We are facing 2021 with all this easy access, education. Everyone does whatever they want. We're facing this existential crisis. If we are to say that, okay, finally, we reached the pinnacle of things. Everyone, everyone can, I mean, look at the laws. Everyone can pretty much do whatever they want. Can be whatever you want. Yet why are people, suicide rates are extremely high. Depression and anxiety are extremely high. Uh, antidepressant, prescriptions for antidepressant are extremely high in Western countries or free countries where everyone supposed they can do whatever they want. The question is why? Why? It's because you've been lied to. You've been lied to and you've been told that you can do whatever you dream or want or wish to do but you see, society forgot one thing, one thing that the Quran finishes with. The Quran finishes with this. And sometimes we don't think, why did the Prophet ﷺ, why did Allah put that as the last surah? قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّنَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ مِنْ شَرِ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ Right? You think you do just whatever you feel like it? Well, guess what? Shaitan is whispering to you all the time. Your nafs, your, your desires, your you know, hedonistic you know, approach, everything is telling you, oh, why don't you be this? Oh, what about that? Oh, how about this? Oh, how about that? Oh, nothing. There's no direction. There's no purpose in life anymore. It's just about what I feel good about. How is humanity going to unite? How is humanity going to solve the problems if everyone, I feel good about something different than you do and my neighbor feels about something different. Everyone does their own thing. How are we ever going to solve humanity's problems? You make a, a really powerful point uh, in terms of a lot of the younger sisters, they buy into the fact that with 
you know, whether it's, you know, uh, other women or other, uh, you know, you could say ideologies uh, that are presented to them. What have these people accomplished in life? You know, they're getting their authority. So they're giving you this is how you should live your life. Uh, this is the type of relationship you should have with your husband and your children or your parents, whatever. But what kind of relationship do they have with their parents? What kind of relationship do they have with uh, um, their husband or do they even have a husband, you know, uh, their children? So they cannot they cannot prove that their theory practically can cause um, progress for your family, uh, for your progeny, for your life. It's, you know, there's a huge disconnect there. Whereas, as you mentioned, that the teachings from Allah and His Messenger وسلم, it's been proven, you know, for generations. Look at how even, you know, subhanAllah, I was thinking about this um, the other day because I was uh, uh, reading a book by um, Gabor Mate, you know, the he's like a uh, Dr. Gabor Mate. psychologist and he, yeah, psychologist. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was. Yeah, so he's he was talking about the indigenous, um, like the trauma for indigenous people, like when they were colonized, that led to so much addiction, right? Because of the fact the trauma of colonization, it, it uh, caused uh, so much addiction to occur within their populations. And I was thinking to myself that Muslim countries were also colonized. How are they protected from all of these addictions and societal problems? It was deep. If it, if it wasn't deen, like imagine if alcohol was widespread in the Muslim worlds and they were also colonized and they were also brutally colonized, many Muslims, and even continue to this day, for example, in Palestine, uh, some other areas. Yet, like you don't see that level of societal internal strife and problems and chaos. And because, again, pragmatically, practically speaking, it's not just theory. It actually has kept people together. It gives you a successful relationship. It's proven. You'll have, uh, you know, uh, a better uh, and satisfying life. You know, the the uh, the the salama, the peace in this life, and you know, the the next life. You know, so I think that's an important point. Is a lot of people buy into this thing. Somebody will speak with a few titles beside their name with confidence. And you'll just drink it up like Kool-Aid and you'll start practicing it. And then you find out 30, like you're in your late 30s, 40s, 50s. Why am I so miserable? People say, like, why am I so miserable? You bought into this hype. You bought into this charlatan who told you that this is the way that you're going to be happy. This is the way you're going to have self-worth, right? Because it's a materialistic society. Your worth is good based on social credit you can get from society or what material, uh, you know, uh, power that you have, right? So that, I think that's, that's right. a, a really important point that people should pay attention to that. Yeah. Very, it's very attractive to be a, a striker in a football team, right? Because you score the goals, mm -hmm. right? Everyone wants to be a striker mm -hmm. now, right? It's like, but you forget that if you leave the goal unattended and if you leave the defense unattended, mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're going to lose. And that's, that's, that's basically what I can compare society to is like, imagine 11 players on the field, including the goalie. Everyone wants to be a striker, 
right? Everyone wants to be in the first. Everyone wants to be uh, under the the spotlight. They don't. They don't understand that everyone has a purpose. Everyone has been, you know, it's it's a purpose that is according to who they are, what they've been, you know, what's what they've been created for, and they've been they've been lied to. You need to push. You need to do everything, including being extremely miserable. But keep smiling and you, you're going to be happy when you reach the top. Just another top, a little bit more and you'll be happy. Just you need a little bit more to and, and a few more degrees and a little bit more, you know, money and, and just a little bit more, you know, uh, surgeries or, you know, aesthetic surgeries, just a little bit more. And then in the end, you're like, when is it going to end? I'm not happy, right? I'm still not happy because, mm. you know, there's a difference between being happy and being content. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in this dunya, he talks, and the Prophet talked about qina. And qina is like just being having mm. internal content, just being content with what you have. And I'm not saying don't strive. I tell my students, be millionaires, man. Guys, go ahead, man. And don't forget me when you make it, okay? Mm. Send me a few too. I tell them straight up. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not, but <laughs> do you feel happy, right? Or are you always mm. just like unhappy, always trying to you know so they're, they're asking you for this happiness this american dream that doesn't exist you know what what is the american dream L- mm. living in debt riba mm. come on man it's like subhanallah right yeah but people don't have time to yeah. think anymore they don't have time to analyze and to think they're told everything what to think they're told every single thing is given to them again through media and people are not really intellectual anymore. You can't really say people are intellectual, like back in the days, you know, like, you know, people have gone through a serious, you know, educational process. Cannot, uh, today you can, I mean, you just kind of pay for your degree and you, you can kind of get through it, you know what I mean? It's not like back in the days, it's not like 20 years ago. 2021, it's, getting a degree is like, it's, it's easy, man. <laughs> and you know what's interesting you know, how you say that people, they don't have that true fulfillment and happiness is when you look at the nature of an addict, you know, addicts are actually most of the time because of that drug miserable, but because they feel Mm. for that short few seconds, that level of pleasure, they're willing to be miserable for 99% of the time for that 1% of pleasure. That's right. And I think that's what people have, again, um, fallen prey to with the dunya and, you know, all of the things that the misguidance or any path of Dalal has, has, uh, has, uh, you know, called them towards that, hey, this is going to make you happy. And then you feel that 1%, you feel that happy. Oh, yeah, it feels so good to be able to take a picture with this girl in this club. Uh, You know, everyone's looking at me and commenting. And so you get that 1% and then 99% of the time <laughs> you're miserable and you're in misery. It's like, okay, yeah, but that 1%, remember that 1%? It's like Shaitan reminds you, remember that 1%? Remember that with that one time you felt good mm-hmm. when you were doing this, you know, whether it's Zina or like, but then the rest of the time you just feel miserable, you know, subhanAllah. Uh, right. The greatest, you know, deception that the, the devil ever, ever pulled, right? To think that you would be happy. That's right. That's right. Is that uh, that that forbidden tree, right? It was just that. It, yeah. Adam was told everything was good for him. Everything in Jannah. 
It's just that one tree was very mm -hmm. attractive. Why? Because Allah said, don't go yeah. next to it, you know? It was just the it's one tree, man. Yeah. It's one it's, it's, only. It, Everything else was allowed. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, right? It's going to be worth it. And, you know, subhanAllah, uh, that's what we fall into. Like, you know, how many people lose, like, their entire lifetime and they come back to, uh, you know, what they originally heard maybe from an imam or a sheikh or what their parents told them and they said, man, I can't believe I wasted decades. I really lost decades of my life. Allah Akbar. And... Uh, and I see that, subhanAllah, the, the, the regret, and there is real damage, uh, uh, Ustad, that people uh, are going through. I, I saw, like, you know, we have programs where we bring people together, and we, I think you would like it, the, the programs, I won't go into detail, but we have some pretty cool tarbiya programs, leadership development programs, uh, you know, trying to revive the sunnah manhood, uh, you know, so swimming, horseback riding, archery, all of those different things. And so we have uh, at times like the brothers come together and they break down. This is real manhood when you can like cry and you can yeah. like be reflective. So to dabur, to fakur. And, you know, we had like the blood brothers beside each other. And, and one brother is saying that, you know, I've contemplated suicide. I'm thinking of killing myself and I have never found somebody that I can connect or talk to. And this is like now a group of brothers. He's never met them before these few days. And he's just pouring his heart out. Like people are just holding it in and they're faking it. And they don't realize, hey, there's the path. Surat al-Mustaqeem is right there. It's right there for you to go on. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But as you mentioned, you said that you needed two things. You needed to have a purpose, a focus. And you needed to put serious effort mm -hmm. behind that. And, and and the problem sure. is is that we do a lot of things, but we don't think about does this have real meaning and purpose, you know? Because at the end of the day, it does take a lot of effort to stay up all night going on computer and uh, you know doing all sorts of different things, right? But putting right. real effort behind behind something that's really purposeful and meaningful, that combination is deadly. That's that's when you have. Like that's a right. life that's worth living. That's a life, life worth journaling about, you know? Right. I, I always ask my students, man, like that's one of the things. I, this is my, like, uh, you know, test question. I say, what's your objective in life? You know, what what do you want? What, what do you want to do? And most of them will tell me either I don't know, all right, which is a horrible place to be in, all right? And people say, no, it's okay if you don't know. It's okay. It's okay. When I was young, I wanted to be a mm. soccer player. All right? Mm. That's what I wanted to be. Did I become one? No. Yeah. Do I still play soccer? Yeah. Yes. But I had a dream, man. <laughs> I had an objective. And yeah. you know what? Even running after that dream, it really paved the way for me to struggle, to do things, and to lead me to maybe a realization that, hey, you know, I need to take a different path, right? There's no time in my life as a child or in my friend's lives when if you ask them something, what do you want to do or what do you want to be, you know, and that you, you would get it, I don't know. No, that's, that's one point. The second point is usually you'll get an answer kind of like what I've given, a job, all right? Mm -hmm. 
It's like, I want to be a, a, a doctor. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a, a businessman or something mm -hmm. like that. That's the, like the first mm -hmm. thing I used to do with my, when I used to be a teacher, the first day as a ta'aru for knowing each other, if I would get a new class, I would just tell them, okay, take a piece of paper and just write, you know, what, what's your purpose? What do you want to do? So most mm -hmm. people give you a job or something like that. Or, you know, you hear, usually you're, you're a practicing Muslim, we'll see like, you know, to worship Allah. All right, which is good. Alhamdulillah, we know that that's, that's the objective, you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for. But no one gives you like a specific objective, something other than a job. Your job is not your objective in life. Your job is your means to a greater objective. Your job is a means to help you to worship Allah. Your job is, mm. is, is just something, asbab, you know, sabab. Mm. Same with, with other things in this life, man. Right? But mm. you need to have a, an objective. Who, how, what problem in this world are you going to solve? When you look at the Sahaba, the Prophet and the Prophet did they pray? Like, was their objective just to pray? They prayed. But that was not their main objective mm. only. Did they fast? Yes, they fasted. Mm. Like today, to be a good Muslim, you have to just pray and fast. Pay zakah if you have to. Do hajj, go for umrah once in a while. And that's pretty much it. Get married and die. That's what's a good Muslim mm. today. See, the Sahaba, they understood, mm. man, that for them was, mm. and that's why, you know, I mean, imagine, who, in a, who wouldn't want to live and die in Medina in the Masjid of the Prophet mm. You know, who wouldn't, where are the Sahabas buried? They're not buried in Medina. A few of them are, but most of them are buried outside because they understood the mission, man. And the mission was to spread Islam. The mission was to... And people will be like, oh, you want to convert us to Islam? It's not like that, man. It's about that... The world is in darkness. Look around. People need to understand. People are in darkness. They're in depression, anxiety. Allah says to take them out of the darkness into the light. You know, I've suffered anxiety. I suffered depression. It was only Islam that brought me out. Because Islam puts things in the right perspective. It's not idealistic like there. It's not. It's real. It's just real. It deals with real issues. It addresses your real purpose in life. So Sahabas, they understood that. They had a mission. They lived. They died for it. You know what I mean? Imagine, bro, when you wake up and you have something to live and die for. You're, you're unstoppable. You are a man with a mission. A man with a mission is a real man. A man with nothing, who, who doesn't know what's going on or what he wants, I don't know. I'll see. I'm not sure. I don't know. You know. Today I got upset with one of my uh, clients because I was, I was mediating. I was trying to mediate. And I, I said to him, the issue of manhood, I said, bro, it's like the ummah is suffering. And no, he told me. And I was like, I just told him, okay, man, may Allah bless you. Salam alaikum. Because he said, I cannot, I quote, I cannot be bothered about the ummah. I care about myself. This is the problem. This is the problem, my brother. That is why we are where we are today. The guy said, I cannot be bothered about the ummah. I care about myself. Mm. All right, man. Mm. Okay, because that's not what the Prophet said. Yeah. That's not what the Prophet did. Yeah. And that's not what the Sahaba did. This is called yeah. Ithar. 
And they prefer the others over themselves, even though they are in need. You know, we don't have this, man. So, yes, Sahabas had an objective drive. You know, it's like energy that drives you to wake up in the morning, a man on a mission every single day. You don't wake up like, oh, I can't wake up for Fajr. Man, because when you have a mission, you will wake up for Fajr. Because Fajr is a strength for you. Fajr is a means for you to be able to get strength, to be able to fulfill your duty to your Lord. So you get the barakah, so you get the protection of Allah. Because the Prophet said, whoever prays Fajr and Masjid and Jama'ah, فَهُوَ فِي ذِمَّةِ is in the protection of Allah. So this is what you're looking for. So you can go throughout the day and do what you got to do. But we are here today. The Muslim of the 21st century is, I go to the masjid if I can here and there, pray, fast, okay, go to hajj, get married. You can't do die. Islam halfway. You can't, you, those are, you can't be a halfway Muslim. You got to be full in. You know, like enter into it completely, that's right. you know, submit. And that's, I think, Completely. what people sometimes do is they think I am being Muslim by just doing one thing of Islam or two things of Islam. You know, enter into Islam completely. You know, and I think when people say, well, why don't we benefit like the Sahaba benefited? You know, why don't we have the same level of success like the Sahaba or some of the earlier generations? Because they went into it completely. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if I have a, a field, a farm field, right? Like I, I want to grow crops. I only plant in 10% of there. And I work on that 10% and I don't get the fruits of and the vegetables, everything, and the rest of the land. Who else, Who's to blame? I only planted 10%. You want to do 10% of your deen, you'll get okay. You'll get that little bit of... Do 100% of your deen, you'll get the full benefit of your deen. You know? That's right. That's right. Alhamdulillah. 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 All right. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know it's late where you are uh, or else I, I would keep going. Uh, but I know I, I, I know it's late <laughs> and uh, I don't want to put I don't want to put too much, uh, you know, unnecessary uh, pressure on you. And uh, we'll do it again. Inshallah. Undo we'll do it again. Yeah. yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah, we'll do it again. Inshallah. Uh, you know, this was uh, alhamdulillah, a very enjoyable experience. And uh, I appreciate what you're doing because that type of messaging uh, is important. Uh, it, it is important. I, I think I appreciate it, you know, because, uh, you know, sometimes people will criticize and say, oh, why do we need to talk about this? And, uh, you know, there was, uh, I think, a video that somebody sent me. This is how I came to know you or came to know about you is that somebody sent the video uh, with that whole Mufti Mink issue, right? And so uh, I said, you know, the brother is fine. I think what he's saying, th those voices, I'm a firm believer that, sir, like, if you don't hear something a lot and if somebody says it, you give them the space, let them say it because you need to hear it. We need to get the reminder, right? Uh, like, it's, you need the reminder. It's a benefit for the, for the believers. So, and you can get that reminder from anyone. Like, I don't care how big the, the different shiyukh are. Uh, if Imam Ahmed said, I was encouraged by a man who was drunk in a prison. He said, stay steadfast upon what you're doing because I endure the punishment for my drunkness. You're enduring the punishment for being on the truth. Like if he can get encouraged and motivated from that, then 
like you can we can do it for anyone right um so i think that that is important these are important things that we need to bring to the forefront they're practical things there are people like you who are on the ground dealing with real issues i know you're counseling people and that is a daunting task and you have to have um like a really benevolent and really generous type of mindset because you're constantly dealing with other people's problems and issues and you're trying to better other people's lives you know and uh it's it is hard so we fully support what you're doing and we hope Allah SWT keeps you steadfast upon this path and uh we that Allah SWT keeps us all united upon the khair and we really appreciate uh the time that you spend with us on the podcast and we'll have to do this again and if any uh, uh, current issues come up, maybe we'll have a like a mini session. Like you don't have to have it so long, but we'll uh, we'll try to keep this uh, more inshallah. regular. Inshallah. All right. Inshallah, and for my uh, beautiful audience, remember always to live by the haq, die by the haq, and just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life haq. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Salam On behalf of the Lifehug team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehug channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.